You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the sermon by Pastor Terry Riley, which is part six of the sermon series, This is Family. For more info, please visit creekside.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Hey, uh, a couple of things. Um, uh, number one, I want to say thank you to everyone that did such an incredible job yesterday helping us with the memorial service. And you served, you took down, you reset food and just did an incredible job. I want to say thank you for that. Also, if you're a guest today, I want to personally welcome you and uh, thank you for being a part uh, of our gathering this morning. And in your programs, uh, there's a little connection slip I'd love to have you fill out and place it in the basket there. Just let us know that you were here so we can just kind of drop you a note and say, hi, thanks for coming, and might even have a little gift card in it. Um, uh, The last few weeks we've been in this series now, I think for five, six, this is our sixth week. Uh, This is family. We're just really looking at family. We haven't done it for uh, a few years now, so we're just kind of looking at uh, some components of family. Uh, We've kind of done some heavy hitting in the first uh, few weeks of it, talk about our origins and how to fight fair, how to speak words that build and edify. And so today we'll have a little fun in the sun, um, I think. Uh, it, it was kind of interesting, after last service, uh, I, I, I got caught by two people. One of them comes up to me and he goes, Here, here's what I want to do. And he comes up with his wife. And he goes, I want you to, would you renew our vows this week? It's our 50th anniversary. And I go, yeah, it's it's amazing, yeah. So he said, you really challenged me, pulled me out of my comfort zone. And his wife, you know, she didn't know that that was coming. And so she's kind of standing there, whoa, you know. And then another guy, um, uh, just a wonderful man. I, I just love this guy. And he comes up to me after service and... Says so this is what I got out of today. Now he's 80 plus. And he goes, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna do with my wife what we used to do 70 years ago. And I go, wow, that's, that's amazing. That when people, you know, that they've been together for so long, they can still listen, they can still be challenged and they can still be encouraged. You know, just to move and to make some changes wherever they're needed to do. And that's, so we're talking this morning, I want to talk about this crazy thing called romance. You don't find the word romance or romantic in the Bible, but you see it in full display in a book called The Song of Songs or The Song of Solomon. Uh, I I read it to first uh, service. I'm not going to read it to this service. It might make you blush Uh, because it's... It's from antiquities and it's Middle Eastern language. And it really is a very romantic, borderline erotic writings by King Solomon as he's encountering his bride. And sometimes we we don't think romance is very important. And I wanna challenge us today to kind of consider it and to think about it in your life You know, regardless of how long you've been married, I tell you those stories because those are two people that have been married over 50 years and they're still saying, you know what, you're right, I I gotta get back 
to the way that it was. So we're going we're gonna to talk about romance. I don't want to overvalue it, but I don't want to devalue it. There's probably, possibly some in here that would go, hey man, it's not for me, I don't need it. And here's the only thing I would say about that because there might be people in here that believe that. Here's the only thing I would challenge you with, ask your spouse. <laughs> okay, just, just ask your spouse and see what they say because that's really what matters. So I want us to look, if you would turn to Genesis chapter 29. And we're going to read from there in just a minute. But So let's start with the definition. Webster says that romance, the noun, is an emotional attraction between two people. So when we talk about falling in love, we're really talking about romance. Because a lot of times we don't have time to really understand how much we love somebody or, or if we really do. It's just these feelings that we have toward one another. Because love really can't be expressed until there's a lot of things going on like sacrifice and serving and doing all of these things that marriage will always challenge us to do. The, the problem with romance can be it's so fickle. Feelings oftentimes change. The biggest reason for people getting marriage is because of what? They would say, oh man, we're just in love, you know? Or I just, I just fell in love. What's the biggest reason for divorce? I just don't love her anymore. I don't love him anymore. Or we fell out of love. Because see, we understand there's a lot of different dimensions to love. And one of the key ones is just simply that love becomes a commitment and becomes a daily decision. But we hear it all the time. The spark is gone. The thrill is gone. I, I just don't love him anymore. You know, I just don't have the same feelings for her anymore that I used to have. And the problem is, is that feelings change. Um, Dr. Neil Clark Warren in his book, The Triumphant Marriage, says this, romantic feelings are the result of things we do say and think. When we do and say and think those things, the feelings will follow. Well, romance is not only a noun, but it's also a verb where we take action steps. And here's the definition of the verb. To try and influence or win favor with or by lavishing personal attention or gifts or flattery or probably compliments. See, romance isn't just something that happens to us. It's something we do. When you romance someone, well, you're really saying and doing things because you want to win them. You want to win their favor. You want to win their heart. And that's the reason sometimes romance dies so often after marriage. Because we've well, we've bagged the babe, so to speak. Game over. And so the reason romance dies is because we're no longer romancing. And so for some of us, I want to challenge us today that maybe we would just kind of rethink this. And people, you, you, you're probably sitting here right now, possibly some of you, and you're thinking, oh, there's no hope. What, what if my romance is dead in my marriage and it's been that way forever? Or if you're dating, here's some good rules, good guidelines, good precepts. If you would say that romance in your marriage is probably in a cul-de-sac or it's kind of in a ditch in the road, I think Jesus would speak to us these words. Revelation 2, 4 and 5 says this, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. So to get back to that first love, what I want you to do is remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. 
Now the context of this verse is really important because it's not talking about marriage. It's talking about a church that Jesus is confronting and he's affirming them. The first thing he says to them is, you know what, man, you guys have done a great job. You, you teach well and you serve well in your community. You're doing a lot of good things, but here's the problem. Your head and feet are doing everything right, but your heart has grown far from me. And so he gives them this kind of three-step prescription. And he says, what I want you to do, if you want to kind of return to that first love, remember. And I think it's the same thing that would work for a marriage and will help a marriage. He says, uh, remember. Remember how you used to feel about your spouse. Remember when you first saw her. Remember when she was walking down the aisle. Remember when he used to pick you up. And he'd wait patiently, never honking his horn, just wait in the driveway for you to get all prettied up. Remember those times. Remember those things. And then repent, which simply means change your mind. Go a different direction. Honestly evaluate why you've lost some of those feelings. And then you begin to make a decision that will change that, change the course and the direction. And then he says, do a redo. Start doing the things that you used to do when you had those feelings. Now, married couples, what did each of you do that caused you to fall in love at the beginning? What were those things that said, man, this is what really kind of just rings my bell for my bride or this for my husband. These are the things. That's kind of your prescription. Remember and repent and change your thinking and redo. Here's the question for you. Did your partner marry you thinking that those pleasing things that they were doing during your courtship would discontinue after you got married. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know it's like, well, we can't do all that stuff. Okay, I get it. But are they still doing some of those things? And did you really think that they would just kind of like vanish and no longer happen? See, great marriages work on being in love. Being romantic, keeping the chemistry alive, keeping the embers burning. I want to give you an example here from uh, This Is Us. Watch this. for a sleepover, and I'm taking you somewhere. Where? Somewhere. <laughs> if you want to find out, you are going to have to get in the car right now. What are you up to? <laughs> step forward. There you go. Okay. Okay. Step forward with me. Okay. Close this door. All right. Here, just grab one. Jack. Yeah. Where are we? Somewhere. Can I take this thing off? No, no, no. Yet? Not yet. Not yet. Almost. Almost, almost, almost. Okay, step up. Okay. Okay, come on. I got you. Okay. I don't want to walk into the walls. <laughs> I got you. Never, I've never put you in a wall. 
you please take this thing off? No, no, no. Not yet. Almost. <laughs> Almost. Wait. Okay. <laughs> Wait. our first apartment? Yeah. Jack. It was vacant, so I rented it out for the night. And I came in early and I set up everything. Oh, babe. But I... I know we're not Shelly and Miguel. No. You're right. You need to take the time to remember the newlyweds that lived here. See, sometimes it's important just to go back and to remember those early times when you just, you felt different. There was an electricity in this passion that was taking place. And I'm convinced that you can always go back and get it back. It may not be the same, but it can always be deeper. So I want to talk to you about just some kind of attractions that I think are important in terms of building this kind of romantic mindset into your marriage. Because really, it ultimately becomes a mindset. And if you're single here, we're thrilled that you're here. And uh, maybe take some notes because these are some things you can be doing now as well as when you get ready to get married. I I want to look at a a passage in Genesis 29. And we're going to pick it up in uh, kind of in the middle at verse 5. It's about... A man named Jacob, he's a shyster, he's deceitful, he takes people, and he's going to come face to face with his uncle Laban, who is the exact same way, except only better or worse, however you want to phrase it. So Jacob is, he's, he's coming into this town, and he comes up to this well. He says, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor, Jacob asked him, and they answered, oh yeah, we know him. Is he well, Jacob asked? Well, yes, they said. And here comes his daughter right now, Rachel, with the sheep. Well, then Jacob said, look, it is still broad daylight, and it's not time for the animals to be gathered. So water the flock and then go and let them graze. Uh, But these men replied, they said, we can't until all the flocks have been gathered and the stone is rolled away from the well's opening. Then we will water the sheep. But while he was talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep. Uh, For she was a shepherdess as soon as Jacob saw his uncle Laban's daughter, Rachel with his sheep. He went up and he rolled the stone from the opening and he watered his uncle Laban's sheep. So you see what he does there? She's bringing up these sheep and it's probably going to really be hard for her to roll the stone. So he says, and you'll see why in a minute, but he says, I'm going to go roll the stone for this woman. So watered Uncle Laban's sheep, verse 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept loudly. And he told Rachel that he was his father's relative, Rebekah's son. She ran and told her father Laban. Now when Laban heard the news uh, about his sister's son, Jacob, he ran to meet him and he hugged him and he kissed him. And then he took him to his house and Jacob told him all that had happened. And Laban said to him, yes, You are my own flesh and blood. 
Now, after Jacob had stayed with him a month, Laban said to him, just because you're my relative, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? So he's been camping out there for a month and hanging out. And he says, well, how about this? Laban had two daughters and the older was named Leah and the younger was named Rachel. Leah had delicate eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he answered Laban, I'll work for you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Well, Laban replied, better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay with me. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and they seemed like, get this, it seemed like only a few days because he loved her so much. Well, then Jacob said to Laban, give me, your, give me my wife, for my time is completed. I want to sleep with her. Uh, So Laban invited all of the men of the place to a feast. And that evening, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. Whoa, 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 whoa. And he slept with her. I thought he was working for Rachel. He was. And Laban gave his servant girl to Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her servant. Well, when morning came, there was Leah. (laughs) Wow, What what a surprise. So Jacob marches out and says to Laban, what is this that you've done to me? What is it that Rachel, uh, wasn't it for Rachel that I worked for you? Why have you deceived me? Well, Laban answered, "Uh, it is not the custom in this place to give the younger daughter in marriage before the firstborn. Uh, Could you have told me that like seven years ago? Well, he says, okay, complete this week of wedding celebration, and we will also give you this younger one in return for working yet another seven years. And so Jacob did just that. He finished the week of celebration, and Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, as his wife. And Laban gave his slave, Avila, to his daughter, Rachel, as her servant. So Jacob slept with Rachel also, and indeed, he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. So basically he had to get 14 years of work in to be able to get her. Uh, Some of the things that I believe help with romance and attraction uh, is first of all, the friendship attraction. I believe this is where you lay the foundation. Now, when you're a parent, remember when you had teenagers or the kids, they started having their first crush? What did you say to them? Probably a lot of us would have said, you know something, don't get so serious too soon. Just become good friends and by all means, stay away from any sexual activity. Did anybody ever say anything like that to your kids? Okay, a lot of you are nodding your head. Nobody's raising your hand and uh, probably got kids around. But listen, that's what we say. Why? Because we understand the foundation and the importance of a good friendship and not moving too quickly. What do best best friends do together? Well, they hang out together. They share common interests and activities and they have fun together. I really believe if you don't share some common interests, you're probably not gonna have a very good friendship. You, You don't have to do all of the same things in your marriage, but you have to share some important things together that are interesting to you that you can do. Each one of us is unique. We all have our different sphere of interests and activities that we like to do, but we've always got to be careful. that We don't allow those things to draw us away from the other person, but we find things that begin to overlap. Let's face it, especially here in the East Bay and some other places, there's only so many hours in a day, and we're busy. Some of you are commuting. Some of us have a 
boatload of kids. We all have different interests. But here's the deal. You want to make sure that some of the interests that you do are overlapping and giving you time together. Because if you marry your best friend, you want to keep it that way. Yeah. Besides my shared goal with Trina of following Jesus, here's my priorities. We follow Jesus together. She's my priority. I want to spend most of my time with her now. And then, of course, our two sons and our two grandsons are critically important to us. And they get most of our attention and most of our time. But I make sure we get time together. We both love to read and share what we're reading. It's not unusual for me uh, on a, a morning or two a week where she'll be reading something and she'll just do a photo of it, picture of it, and send it to me. And just as I'm praying for you today, and uh, this will be an encouragement to you or a blessing or a challenge to you. We love to take long walks together. We love to jog together. We now golf together. The, the golf, the expenses of golf have gone way up with her playing. More balls, more golf. We love to go to the beach. We love to go just be by the water together. We also like to watch Bachelorette and uh, Survivor together. I didn't say it, I don't think. Don't judge me, okay? Do not judge me. Just call me happily married. See, the best friendships and the best marriages include regular, healthy doses of fun. And everybody's got to figure those out for themselves. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says this, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. One of the most common remarks I hear from young couples when we're going through premarital counseling, oh man, we can talk about anything, we can talk about everything, we can talk about all, man, we can just talk all day or text all day. We just talk, 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 and everything. Boy, they talk about everything. You know what's really sad? It's also not unusual for a couple of years, some years later, they'll come back, and one of them will say, you know what, we're hardly talking anymore. We don't really have anything in common. Why is that? Because these best friends that started out that way are now moving apart. They're not communicating. There's not a sense of growing intimacy in their life. Dr. Roy Rhodes, a Dallas psychologist, reports that the average married couple, 10 years or more, only spends 37 minutes a week talking with one another. Those couples have stopped being friends. How much time do you spend really talking to your spouse? Now, I understand there's different stages of life. Some of us have children. Some of us, you know, there's a lot of things. But how much time do you really spend face-to-face -face talking to your spouse? I remember when I told you the story, I think a week or two ago, about uh, after our second year here, I took on another full-time job because we were trying to move the church forward, and it just was very taxing on our personal time. I knew I was in trouble about halfway through the process when I came to the church on a Saturday and I realized I had an appointment and it was with my wife. And I knew that was not gonna be a good conversation because she basically came and just said, we can't continue this way. You're gone too much and a lot of it I really couldn't control but I still had to make time to be with her. And I want to tell you something. Uh, we always get more than 37 minutes a week now. Because that was like a bell ringer for me. That was a wake-up call. I mean, she was just desperate. And she just said, we got we to change this. See, best friends, they don't have to be, get, be together all the time. But best friends need to be together sometime to make sure they're maintaining the relationship.
Even before they started, Jacob and Rachel had 14 years or seven years. And then it moved into 14 to spend together. And outward attraction is also important. Hear me. See, we, we downplay that and it's overplayed really in our culture. But, but I want to challenge us to say, what was it that one of the first things that really attracted you? At some point, it was probably a little bit of physical attraction. You looked at them and go hubba hubba or whatever you said or did. But there was something about them that you looked at and you go, wow, I, 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 I like them. And, and even the Bible says this, Rachel was shapely and beautiful. And, and Jacob was attracted to that outwardly. Now you can criticize Jacob. You can call him shallow how, you can do whatever you want. Uh, but for most of us, there was this initial traction. So what do we do to really keep that romantic part alive? I, I, I think that one of the main things is take care of yourself. Put, put your life in a Kodak moment. Uh, Read the Song of Solomon, chapter 4 and 5, and you'll begin to see this picturesque language that talks about what they look like, how soft they are, how they smell, how their mouth, it's just this effervescent taste as they come together in this romantic interlude. And personally, envision a romantic evening. Don't you just picture the other person looking good? Smelling good. But if he hasn't taken a shower and shaved and kind of still has the smell of work on him, if, if she reeks of garlic and onions and she's dressed in a sack, that's not a real pretty picture, is it? See, part of romance is physical attraction. So look, smell your best, take care of yourself. And I'm not saying the guy needs to be some kind of Greek god or a woman needs to be a supermodel. Very few of us would ever qualify. And I'm fully aware of the effects of aging. But here's the deal. Are you giving it your best? Are you doing what you can? I know physical, there's so many things that come into this play. So I'm not just trying to say be beautiful and be a hunk and all that kind of stuff. But I'm saying take care of yourself. Uh, Trina and I kind of renewed our commitment to this recently, so we joined a gym together. Uh, we, we were just, we're, we're really committed to this. We are so committed to it, we started it two and a half months ago, and we haven't been there yet. <laughs> so you can tell that we have a great commitment to this. But we had a lot of, in, in defense, and not totally, because there's not always an excuse for this for two and a half months, but we're committed to getting to it. Why is that? And, but we have been busy. A lot of things have been up and down and everything. But why do we want to do this? First of all, we want to do it for our physical health. As we're getting older, we want to make sure that we're in some semblance of decent shape cardio and probably get a little more muscle. Um, you know, just take care of ourselves physically. And then we want to, it's, it's good for the mental health. If I don't have outlets for um, exercise or doing some activities outside, I, it just really kind of begins to wear on me. And, and then the third thing you, we really want is we want to say we want to good for each other. We want to stay attractive to each other. And it's a mutual thing. It isn't one of us saying blah, blah, blah. And, but, but, but underneath, that's, that's part of it. And again, you can call, you know, you can call us prideful. You can 
Call us shallow, but here's what I want to say. You can call us happily married. Because we want to make this a priority going into our later years. There's also personality, there's also personality attraction. You know, you find some people's personality attractive, don't you? Have you ever looked around and you just say, oh yeah, I really like them. I'm kinda, there's kind of this appeal. And then there's these other people you just go, oh, whatever. You know, you just gotta blow them off and, and move on. What attracted you to your spouse when you first come together? What were those things? You know, if you begin to kind of look at it, you're gonna find out that you were opposites. There's the old saying, what, that opposites attract. Uh, it's a magnetism. And if you see the identically charged ends of a magnet, they will repel, while the opposite charged end will be attracted. This isn't an ironclad rule, but how true is it? If you evaluate your own personal relationship, you'll quickly find out that what? Yeah, there were a lot of things that we were attracted to that we thought, wow, that's kind of interesting and unusual. Why is that? Well, because it's intriguing. It's mysterious. It's they add something to me. And if you read Genesis chapter two, what did God talk about? He says, I'm gonna bring you together. He says, I'm gonna bring you a helpmeet so that they can complete you. See those things that are opposites about Trina and I, and when we take these personality tests, we find out that I do have one, but we, that we're really, we, we're, that they're opposite. We're, we're opposite in so many areas. And yet those are the mysterious things. Those are the intriguing things that have kept, brought us together and kept us together. There's this intrinsic sense of at some point in your life and you're looking for a mate, you go, I don't need another me. <laughs> we, we don't need two of the same people in a relationship. What do we need? We need diversity. Because if you're the same, you know what's gonna happen? That's gonna begin to set up a lot of competition in your marriage. But when you're different, you begin to see those things as what God said, I, I, I don't want you to compete, I want to bring you together so you begin to complete one another. And when we first fall in love and we begin to experience romantic inclinations, we're loving and we, it's intriguing, but after a, few, after a few years of marriage, what happens? Now we get kind of familiar with each other and instead of being fascinated by those differences, we begin to get irritated, don't we? Anybody do that? So how do we keep it alive? Well, first of all, you want to celebrate those differences. Go back and remember what you loved at the start and then see each personality trait that was attractive to you. And if it's irritating you now, go back and think about how you can celebrate it. See, what happens if two spenders marry? Have you? Yeah, it's going to be like some financial issues. Maybe even financial collapse. What happens when two savers marry? Nothing, it's no fun. <laughs> what happens when a saver and a spender marry? Which is usually the case. I bet you most of us predominantly have one of each. There causes attention. But that's a good thing because both of you were needed to balance each other out. I need Trina to say, lighten the load and let's spend something. No, I do. She, um, uh, some things happened and uh, just this last week for Father's Day, she bought me a new putter. And it's like a really nice putter. And I opened it and the price tag happened to still be on there. And I knew what it would cost anyway. And I kind of go, ugh. 
because I'm kind of the saver. And, and I, my first thought was, ah. And then I started putting with them. And I said, okay, that's good, you know? <laughs> and uh, so you see what I mean? You, you, you begin to appreciate that other person and you begin be to work together because tension is good for both. Because you begin to realize you can't do this thing on your own. You want God's in the middle of this and bringing these delightful and delicious personalities together. Well, what is it about your spouse that now irritates you? Maybe go back and say, how did I feel about that, that day we were walking down the aisle? Do we begin to have these romantic inclinations? And if you begin to celebrate those differences and make sure you're talking them through and working with them, God can use those to bring a delightful blend to your relationship. Another attraction is continual pursuit. Everybody wants to be wanted. Not many people want to be needed. Uh, watch this video if you would. I do have one more surprise. <laughs> I honestly don't know if I can handle any more surprises. Don't you? Up. Rebecca, saying I do means saying I will. I will love you today and every day the rest of my life. focus on all of the little moments that, that I don't want to forget. But the moment that is burned into my brain and heart was the first time I saw you.
great love story. And Jack Pearson, our story is just getting started. It's Hollywood, and that guy's putting on a clinic for romance. And I know a lot of us guys were probably thinking, oh, no way, I'm going to quit now. Uh, but here's the point. A couple of things that he does, he just plans ahead. And he lets his wife know that he is pursuing her. And then what does he do? He drags the foundation of what brought them together, the vows they made, and he begins to share them with her. And what is he doing? He's setting the stage for their present, but also a preferable future by reminding what they did in the past. You, you know what he's doing? He says, I still want you. He's still pursuing her after all these years. See, somebody wants me. Isn't that a great feeling? Uh, that, that's really romance at, at the essence of it, that this person still wants me. If you go back to Jacob and Rachel, their story, Jacob served Laban for seven years to be able to win Rachel's hand. He's pursuing her all of those years. For seven years, imagine, every time he passed her, every time he'd go into the field, every time they exchanged a glance around the meal table, I can just imagine him going, this is for you, girl. I'm doing this for you. And all she could be feeling at this time is that he's putting in his time and he's wanting to pursue me. Why is this so important? Because I'm sure some of you go, well, why are we talking about this on a Sunday morning? Because this is what God does for us. And that's why it's so important for us as men, as his women, to begin to continually pursue and woo and want to win our spouse because God pursues us relentlessly. It's why Jesus came. He was looking for, he was seeking after you because he wants a relationship with every person in this room. Some of us don't even know that. We just think he's this God up there that's kind of austere and off on a heavenly veranda. But what he did in Jesus coming to reveal himself to us is he went to these ridiculous extremes to win you. God's Holy Spirit does this thing where he comes to convict us and to challenge us and to reveal himself to us. And then Jesus, what does he do? He says, I love you so much. And he goes to the cross and says, I want to die for you. I want to bring you back into this relationship of love and, and purpose with God. That's how much God wants you. He wants you to know you were wanted. But, but what happens after a few years of marriage? We have what we sought. We stop seeking, stop pursuing. And it's at, the, it's at those points that romance begins to die. Well, what should you do to keep romance going? Well, we've kind of said it a number of different ways. Go back to what you used to do. What did you used to do when you first come together? You started dating. Was there ever a time, guys, where you felt like, oh, man, this is just way too much time. I just want to get married. I just want to be with my wife. I want to, I want to be able to live together and spend more time together. 
And that feeling over the years begins to move to, oh, I got to commute, I've got to work, I'm so busy, I got to take care of kids, I got I to take care of the house. So you begin to put off dating, you just let it go. You're no longer patient, you're no longer looking forward to those times of days. Here's what I would recommend, go back and do what you used to do, date. I used to keep a scrapbook of Trina and I when we were dating. Still got it. It's a little lighter now. Here's what I would do. I would, uh, every month I would put a coin in there that represented like, okay, first month, a penny. And then pretty soon I had pennies and then by the sixth month it'd be a nickel and a penny. And we just kept going. It just kind of added it up, you know. And uh, we did that, I don't know, probably for about a year or so. Every month, I'd put in, or uh, every, excuse me, yeah, every month, anniversary, I'd put it in there, and it would just started accumulating. So you'd open this book, and it's got all these coins in there. Well, when we were youth pastors in Lodi, we just didn't make much money. And so one time, Trina says, we got to go on a date. We haven't been on a date. All we do is hang around with teenagers. we got to get together and go on a date. And I looked at my wallet, and we don't have any money. You know what she did? This is how Trina thinks. She goes and grabs those, those uh, scrapbooks, opens them up, and takes all the change out. <laughs> we went out for an ice cream day. It, what we learned at that time is how important a date is. And since that time, we're pretty regular with our date night. Because you know what it says? It says, I'm looking forward to something. You're drawing me into the next week and into the next time of our life. And that's what we used to do. We couldn't wait to get together for our dates. How about you? Is there anything that you're doing for your spouse that's drawing them into the future? I used to serve her, and she's always served me. This is a second key element for our relationship. Don't tell anybody this story. But I was, I was two years ahead of Trina. So I'd graduated and I was going to junior college. She had her senior year. She was working full time, coming into finals. And she had these term papers that she had to have done. So she said, she was telling me about it. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll do it for you. So here's what I said. I said, I'll do it for you. And guess what I did it on? Here was her term paper in one of her classes. How to shoot a basketball. <laughs> so I wrote it. She turned it in. We got an A. <laughs> uh, the students are in their class, so that's good. I don't recommend you doing that. Okay, it was just something because I just loved her so much. I said, I got to help her out because she's so busy. I don't do things like that for her now, but I do serve her. I serve her in just about any way that I can. Do you do that for your spouse? Do you find ways to make their life better, to make their life easier? It's amazing how when you begin to serve somebody, they begin to serve you back. And that begins to build the romance because now you have more time to do things together instead of doing them apart. And she serves me like nobody. As a matter of fact, she did this talk for me today. And um, <laughs> no, she didn't. I've, I've, I'm going to ask her sometime, but she hasn't. She didn't. 
but do the things that impress that special person. You probably used to give gifts. Give a surprise gift. Cook a special meal. Open the door for her. Do you still open the door for your spouse? Let her go in first. Do you go out of your way to still let her know that you want to pursue her, be with her? That's important. Personal attraction is another one. Personal or positive attraction. By that I mean that we personally put our best foot forward. We're kind, we're thoughtful. While people might be attracted, the first thing that might have had a gravitational pull from you to this other person might have been a physical attraction or potentially a personality attraction. That can go away pretty quickly. But when you're kind and you're thoughtful, people will always be attracted to you. And your spouse will always be attracted to you. If you look at the story there, back to Jacob and the Rachel story. When Jacob first arrived in Haran, he met with the shepherds and asked if they knew his uncle. And then they pointed out his daughter, and what did he say? He says, while you're still talking to them, Rachel came with their father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep. He went over and he rolled the stone away. Do you think that that made a good first impression for Rachel that here's this guy coming over and moving the stone for him? See, that's how romance begins and that's how romance really kind of keeps the embers going is you woo with kindness and service. I know a couple who went into marriage and this is a very recent story, that they went into this marriage and this one of the spouses had already been divorced two times and they said this to the spouse, if we're going to do this, we are going to be committed no matter what. And so they made this vow and this commitment that they were going to be committed no matter what happened because neither one of them wanted to go through another divorce. Well, unfortunately, what happened was is one of the spouses ended up having an affair. And I got to walk through both of the spouses with this for probably about a six or seven month time. What's amazing is they're still together. And what they said was, you know what? It's going to be our kindness. It's going to be our forgiveness. And it's going to be our commitment that's going to keep us together and make it work. And they've been together probably for 17 more years after that initial fair. See, we're kind and we're courteous and we do all of these things when we're dating, when we're trying to be this romantic person. We put our best foot forward. We're consistently kind. We're usually thoughtful because we're trying to win. But then after some years of marriage, what happens? We get just a little bit careless. We become just a little bit selfish. We stop doing the little things that keep the feelings alive and the chemistry building. What's one of the key things you can do in your marriage? It's just be nice. Be considerate. Be thoughtful. Because there's a personal attraction that will always take place when those traits are happening. Here's an assignment for your week. Whether you're, if you're dating somebody, do this. If you've been married for 60 years, do this. Take your spouse out on a date. The rules of our date nights were this, and we still pretty much try and live by them, that we're not talking about the kids. We're not talking about church. We're talking about us. 
So here's a couple of unfinished sentences that maybe you can just share with one another. First question would be this. In our courtship, I felt loved romantically when? In our courtship, I felt loved romantically when? And then finish that. When you did this. This is what really made me just feel loved, romantically taken care of. That you were pursuing me, that you were attracted to me. And then here's the second one. I think my spouse would like, to, like me to be more romantically by. I think my spouse would like me to be more rant, romantic by. And use those questions to begin to discuss with one another, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? Because I wonder how many of us have even had any discussions recently about romance. We just kind of, it gets shelved. I just talked to a couple, uh, a, a spouse four days ago. And they're trying to make the marriage work, keep it together. And they said, you know the one thing I've asked for from the, my spouse? I've asked that he would do a date night. I've heard you talk about it before with you and Trina. He, said, he says, I just, I just asked my spouse if they would do a date night. You know what the spouse said? That's not a priority for me. That person is not being pursued by their spouse. And see, some of us loved ones, we just have to break down some of these things in our life. You know, the attitudes, well, I can't do it. Well, it's not important to me. It's not a priority. Why am I talking about this this morning? Well, because I, I, I talk to a lot of people where romance isn't really a part of their relationship much anymore. And then you begin to wonder why they drift apart. That's one reason, but here's probably the greatest reason. Jesus is always pursuing. God has always pursued us and wooed us to bring us to him. It's interesting. Where does Jesus do his first miracle? John chapter 2 at the wedding in Cana. What does he do? He saves this family embarrassment. He protects their reputation. Because if you would have run out of wine at a, at a marriage ceremony that probably would have lasted six, seven, eight days as a big family village celebration, it would have been a social faux pas that you would have been embarrassed for the rest of your life. So Jesus steps into it, and all of a sudden he begins to do this incredible miracle. Not just making wine, but we're talking like good stuff from Napa. <laughs> you know? And, and, and he fills it up. And everybody notices. Why does he do that? Because he never wants our families to be embarrassed. He always wants to come and he wants to fill our lives with whatever, whatever we are lacking. Wherever there's joy missing. The rabbis used to say where there's no wine, there's no joy. And he says, I want to bring wine and I want to bring the miraculous. I want to bring joy to your marriage. I want to bring healing. I want to bring health to it. Where do you need the life of Christ to fill it up again? Invite him in. See, the, our, our, our marriages, loved ones, they're, 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 they're one of the greatest expressions of our relationship with God. Because Jesus said, husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. He said, wives, I want you to be in alignment with your husbands. Because the world can begin to see that love, that we love one another and the people out there because he first loved us. The home is meant for the life of Jesus to bring his transforming power. If you go to Luke chapter 19, you'll see this story about this 
Remember the little guy Zacchaeus? He's, he's, he's the top drawer guy. I mean, he's like a banker, but a criminal banker, a bad banker. But he's got money like that, and he's dressed up, and he's short. He can't see. Jesus is coming, and so what does he do? He shimmies up a tree, and he gets there. He gets to a spot because he wants to see Jesus because he's heard of him. And deep down, he's got to be thinking, is this guy for real, and can he really change my life? Jesus comes. He looks up. He says, come on down, Zach. We're going to your place. I'm going to your home, and we're going to have lunch. So what do they do? They walk over there, they go, and they have lunch. You know what happens to Zacchaeus? He gets his heart just, he gets his body, his life, his spirit overhauled by the living Christ. He comes out, and he's a changed person. Here's the point. Our homes, we want our homes, loved ones, to be those places where Jesus transforms and touches people, starting with us. And then we begin to do that to the people around us. They see there's something different about that home. There's something different about that spot, about that place. And Jesus expresses his life to every one of our places, our homes, and our marriage. So this isn't just about having a good time, woohoo, together. It's about having a good time, a great marriage where we get to express the life of the one we worship. Can I challenge you? Take something that was said today and move on it. Talk to your spouse. Where are we? Because you not only want to experience the love of your spouse and the love of God, but we want to We want to get it out there. Amen? Would you stand with me, please? Would you just bow your heads with me for a moment and just kind of think about, Lord, is there something that's been said today that maybe I just... uh, one thought, one point that you'd want me to work on. For some of us, it might be just that you know that God loves you so much and that he's like the husband that comes and is pursuing and he wants your heart. Maybe some of us are going to apply it to our marriage. Maybe you're standing there and you go, I, I, I got to have a critical conversation with my spouse. And I encourage you, friends, to do that. But do it in a good time. Don't do it accusing. Do it asking questions. Don't tell them how upset you are. Don't tell her how much she's failed. Or don't, keep it at a place where you say, we want to move forward. And we want to experience just this refreshed love and renewed marriage. And it's not just because of a romance, but that adds to it. It's you, you walking with Jesus and all of these uh, other important points. But, uh, but some of us are just lacking that kind of dynamic. And I encourage you today to pursue that with your spouse. Father, we come. I pray you'd speak to us, you'd challenge us, you'd encourage us because you love us so much. And I pray that we wouldn't just hear this and uh, some of us go, ah, it's not me, man, it's not me, I can't do that. 
It's not about the big things, Lord. It's just like with you, it's the little things that you always want to come and touch and move in. I pray, Lord, that in the season ahead, Creekside is going to move with just great marriages and great relationships where we're going to be able to get, begin to reach down and touch young couples with the gospel, with strong marriages. But this will become a place where they can build and develop community. So Lord, begin to do that now today. And I thank you for every couple and every single and every person, Lord, that is here today. And I speak blessing. I speak life. I speak joy. And I speak happiness over them because you are the joy giver. So for that, we give you thanks today. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. You're loved. Lord bless you. Have a great week. <laughs>